Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Hello and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? Episode 31. Hello and welcome to my mind mare. I want to talk about podcasts that I listen to outside of my own, obviously. Uh, just a quick overview that will allow you a little deeper uh, into my mind, let's say. Mostly I listen to different types of bo- podcasts. I, I have only, I think, one or two that actually overlap. I'm only going to talk about six of them tonight. I actually tend to listen to somewhere between 10 and, and 12 but these six are the ones that I listen to on a regular basis. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is called Gaming and BS. Um, these are the guys that got me interested in podcasting, and they uh, they talk about, well, gaming and topics related to gaming. Uh, Brett and Sean look at gaming from a slightly skewed view, if you ask me, um, but it's something that I really... Um, you know, something that I find really encouraging and helpful when, when, I, when I run one of my games. Um, so, you know, go out there, check these guys out. I definitely, uh, if you're into gaming, they're definitely guys to listen to. Um, secondly, I have, uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class. Um, this is a, uh, these, there's two ladies on this podcast, um, and they talk about things that happened in history that are either overlooked or glossed over in your standard history classes in high school and so on. Um, as you know, I'm a huge history guy, so I guess this one's really not that odd that I listen to this one. Um, the next one is Real Ghost Stories Online. <clears throat> this husband and wife team, they talk about ghosts and read and talk about stories uh, sent into them from listeners. Uh, the the uh, Tony and Jenny Bruski, uh, they do a wonderful job letting the listener make their own minds up about the paranormal. Um, so I think that's really kind of an interesting topic um, in and of itself, but I think it's really kind of neat the way that they present it to everybody. Um, the next one I listen to on a regular basis is called Bischoff on Wrestling. Uh, Eric Bischoff, the former president of WCW Wrestling, talks about the uh, wrestling business as a business and what's going on in wrestling today, uh, mostly with the WWE, but other promotions as well. He also has an interview segment with almost every episode, uh, and it's uh, famous and not-so-famous wrestlers, up-and-comers, things like that. So if you like wrestling, excuse me, if you like wrestling, you'll love this podcast. Uh, The next one I listened to, um, actually, I just found this one recently. It's called Mysteries Abound, and in this podcast, Paul Rex, uh, a gentleman from Australia, reads headlines and stories and uh, stuff out of books from around the world that have to do with strange and unusual happenings. He doesn't go into detail or discuss anything about the stuff he reads. He just reads it, he puts it out there, and lets the listeners make up their minds. Um, and then finally, uh, Geekery in General Podcast. Uh, this one is always on my list. Al Seeger does a great job with varied topics about gaming, video gaming, and tabletop RPG. 
Uh, he also does episodes about shows on Netflix and Hulu, and I'm a relatively active guest on this podcast as well. And I personally have to put a thank you out there to Al. I can't thank him enough for hosting my podcast on his Point of Insanity Network. So that's your Welcome to My Mind Mayor for tonight. Now, let's get into our guest here, um, Mike Lambrecht. Um, I've known Mike for a lot of years. Let's just say a lot of years. How about that, Mike? I met him through uh, role playing, actually, and was there the night he met his future wife, well, his current wife, and guest of mine, and she was a guest of mine on an earlier podcast, Tracy Lambrecht. Um, I had nothing to do with them getting together. That was a different guy. <laughs> uh, Mike, why don't you tell us about yourself, what you do, your family, what, whatever you want to tell us about. All right. Thanks, Chad. Well, as you said, I'm very blessed uh, to be married to my beautiful wife, Tracy. I'm the father of several children, uh, currently at home. Uh, we have an 18-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 3-year-old, and one more in the oven due in May. Um, I have what's known as a, uh, a interesting degree, I guess. I, I studied philosophy in college, so I have a philosophy degree with a theology minor. Um, I studied in Rome for a couple years before coming back to the States. Um, and I'm currently in the Aconite Formation for the Catholic Church, uh, which means that I'm studying and preparing to become a deacon. Uh, and God willing, that will happen in about one and a half years. Okay. Um, for my job, I work at a local Catholic parish as the director of religious education. Um, I also, for hobbies, I enjoy tinkering in my garage, also known as woodworking to some. I play games, as you mentioned. Um, I used to play a lot of role-playing games, but lately I've made the switch to more board and card games. Um, I also enjoy video games every now and then. I enjoy playing sports, so I play softball, uh, I shoot pool, I coach my son's t-ball team. Um, I also enjoy watching, especially Major League Baseball and uh, the NFL. Um, I am a ham, which means I have a ham radio license. Oh, and, okay. Uh, I thought you meant you were kind of a crazy guy. Well, that too. But uh, uh, So that's kind of interesting. That's a neat little hobby. And then... Uh, I guess my last hobby is probably wondering what the sound of silence sounds like since I have none in my home. At well, yeah, you, you've got, what, three right now under the age of six, five? Uh, well, we will have three in May under yeah. the age of six. So Yeah, yeah and then Vinny's? Vinny's about to turn six. Okay. Yeah, just a okay. few months here. So. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely keep yourself busy. Um, <coughs> all right, let's jump into today in history, and then we'll come back and we'll talk your topic. So today in history, and as you all know, I uh, get all my uh, all my stuff for today in history from the www.history.com slash this day in history. So for today, March 3rd, 1887, Helen Keller meets her miracle worker. On this day in 1887, Ann Sullivan begins teaching six-year-old Helen Keller, who lost her sight and hearing after a severe illness at the age of 19 months. Under Sullivan's tutelage, including her pioneering touch-teaching techniques, the previously uncontrollable Keller flourished, eventually graduating from college and becoming an international lecturer and activist. Sullivan, later dubbed the Miracle Worker, remained Keller's interpreter and constant companion until the older woman's death in 1936. Sullivan, born in Massachusetts in 1866, had first-hand experience with being handicapped. As a child, an infection impaired her vision. She then attended the Perkins Institute for the Blind, where she learned the manual alphabet in order to communicate with a classmate who was deaf and blind. Eventually, Sullivan had several operations that improved her weakened eyesight. 
Helen Adams Keller was born on June 27, 1880 to Arthur Keller, a former Confederate Army officer and newspaper publisher, and his wife Kate of Tuscumbia, Alabama. As a baby, a brief illness, possibly scarlet fever, left Helen unable to see, hear, or speak. She was considered a bright but spoiled and strong-willed child. Her parents eventually sought the advice of Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, and an authority on the deaf. He suggested the Kellers contact the Perkins Institution, which in turn recommended Ann Sullivan as a teacher. Sullivan, age 20, arrived at Ivy Green, the Kellers family estate, in 1887, and began working to socialize their wild, stubborn student and teach her by spelling out words in Keller's hand. Initially, the fingerspelling meant nothing to Keller. However, a breakthrough occurred one day when Sullivan held one of Heller, Keller's hands underwater from a pump and spelled out water in Keller's palm. Keller went on to learn how to read, write, and speak. With Sullivan's assistance, Keller attended Radcliffe College and graduated with honors in 1904. Helen Keller became a public speaker and author. Her first book, The Story of My Life, was published in 1902. She was also a, she was also a fundraiser for the American Foundation for the Blind and an advocate for racial and sexual equality as well as socialism. From 1920 to 1924, Sullivan and Keller even formed a vaudeville act to educate the public and earn money. Helen Keller died on June 1, 1968, at her home in Westport, Connecticut, at the age of 87, leaving her mark on the world by helping to alter perceptions about the disabled. So, there we go. Um, Helen Keller, a very interesting historical figure, um, you know, broke a lot of uh, walls down for disabled people. So, all right, Mike. Let's get into your topic. What are we talking about tonight? All right. Well, today I thought we would talk about the effects of climate change on penguins in the Arctic. Okay. And no, not really. I'm okay. Not okay. <laughs> I was well, like, that may be an interesting topic. It could be an interesting topic that uh, I, I know I nothing talk, about. Exactly. I don't think I could talk for for a half an hour on that or, or longer. So. All right. So what are we really talking We're about? We're really talking about. I kind of alluded to it, and and you may have guessed it. Uh, you you know, obviously, you don't have any pre knowledge, but uh, I am a big board gamer, and so I thought we'd talk about board and card games today. Okay. Uh, that was one of the things I thought you might want to talk about. So actually, yeah, that's a. Uh, that's a good place to start. What do you want to start with? What do you want to talk about? Well, I thought uh, maybe I would start with just a little general information, and then we'd, we'd get into some topics in regards to uh, to the board games themselves. Okay. I'd... But uh, when I was a child, I can remember, you know, as I'm thinking back to how I got into this hobby, uh, I was very interested in playing chess, um, Risk, Cribbage, Sheephead, uh, Magic the Gathering when it came out was huge. Uh, I also employed as or employed yeah I also played as you said uh, many role playing games when I was younger. Uh, although because of time and and we'll talk more about that later probably but that was the primary reason why I made the switch from from RPGs to board games. Yeah RPGs do take a, a lot of time. I mean there's no question about that. Yeah. And then uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it wasn't until I came back from college, so around 2003, that my collecting of board games really kind of took off. Um, before then, I'd, I'd play games, I love card games, I love board games, um, but I didn't, I didn't own too many of them. My collection was relatively small. Um, 
there was kind of an explosion that took place in board games as what were known as Euro games kind of made their way across. I'm thinking of Settlers of Catan, Ticket to Ride, Carcassonne. These are big games that nowadays that most people have heard of. Yeah, now you can pick these games up at Target, a lot of them. Exactly. And they really started coming over around, uh, I think it was around the mid-90s that they first started coming over. Um, And these European games, these sometimes they're called Euro games for short, are really, to me, they're they're very interesting because they're so different from the games that I had growing up playing. Games like, uh, you know, Life or Clue, Battleship, Sorry, Monopoly, those kinds of games. Right, right. American games, for the most part, not not in all cases, but for the most part, American games tend to be a lot simpler than the European games. They're not as in-depth or, you know, they're not as changeable either. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I thought we could talk about too, is what what differentiates between what is known to some as Euro games and uh, uh, some people call the American games Amerithrash or Ameritrash even, which is kind of a, a negative connotation. Um, but I like, uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dice Tower at all, Tom Vassell or not, but he, he's coined the term Ameritrash to be less less pejorative uh, to American-style games. I can see what he's saying, but it it still has the same connotation, if you ask me. I'm not a big fan of the whole Amerithrash or Ameritrash label on games because there are a lot of good American games. Um, yep. You know, and some of them are the classics. You know, Monopoly. Um, I'm a huge Monopoly fan. I mean, if you look right over there, you can see uh, at least a half dozen Monopoly games. Um, but, you know, there there is something to be said about the European games. And I don't like... All of the European games. There are some out there that um, I'm not a fan of. Settlers of Catan. I'm not a big fan of it. Do I know how to play? Yes. Can I play and win the game? Yes. It just it doesn't call to me. You know what I mean? And I know you really like um, Settlers of Catan. I do. Yep. My wife is a big fan of Settlers of Catan, but um, so I do play every once in a while because she'll get that bug in her in her in her hair that she wants to play Settlers of Catan. So we play Settlers of Catan. But you know. Um, so when you when you when you look at this, um, the di- let, let's talk about the differences between um, the American games and the um, European games. What's what's the one big difference? If somebody said to tell me in 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 one uh, example, what's the difference between a European game and an American game? What would you tell them? Well, I guess uh, for European games, I would say that Euro style games came. And to answer your question, i got to do a little history first. Okay, that's fine. But I would say that they came out of uh, kind of the post-World War II era, especially in regards to Germany. Um, and so if you remember, Germany in World War II obviously lost the war, right. uh, which was a good thing for the rest of the free world. But, <laughs> right. But what it did was it caused kind of a backlash within the German culture that they were they were sick of war. They were sick of death and destruction and those kinds of things. And so out of that came these European-style games where they created games that were low in conflict, at least direct conflict with other players. Uh, where in, where in uh, U.S.-based games, you'll see that often player elimination is big. Games like Risk, where you're trying to conquer the other players. and, and Trying to them. conquer the world. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, that was not a, uh, a type of game that post-World War II Europe wanted to play. They were sick of war, rightfully. So yeah, I, I mean, after they had World War One, they had World War Two, right? And there really wasn't a whole lot of peace in between the two. Exactly. 
So I would say that in terms of Euro-style games, some of the main points are that, as I said, they're low conflict, especially in player versus player. Uh, they oftentimes will involve gathering resources. Um, there's usually not a lot of hidden information in the game. Um, where in, in U.S.-based games, oftentimes the cards are kept secret, that kind of thing. Right. In Euro games, oftentimes all the players are looking at the same board, and they have the the knowledge is often public. You know, so it's kind of you can make decisions with a lot less hidden information. And these are generalizations. These are not right. And I, yeah, you can games. find book, you can find <laughs> games on on both sides that are going to go against that stereotype. Right. And then the typical, you know, stereotypes are that Euro games are often lighter in theme. You know, American-style games will be heavier in theme usually. Uh, I would say Euro games, and this might be, you know, I don't know if this is a too broad of a generalization, but I would say that the rules are often streamlined. Whereas in American games, for some of those games, you know, you can have pages and pages and pages and pages of rules. Now you can find that too in Euro games, but usually the mechanics are very simple. You know, once right. you actually start playing... It's usually pretty a pretty straightforward process of oh I do this and then I do this and then I do this right yeah um, and that makes sense um let's see what else can I say about uh, American style games well now when you talk American style games what I mean what are what are you considering an American style game now when I think American style games I think Monopoly I think things like Trivial Pursuit Sorry Yahtzee you know those kind of games and now you're talking about American games that have convoluted, um, you know, rule sets. Sure. So what games are you thinking of? Well, I think those are all classic games. But if you get into the more recent American style games, I would say things like Betrayal at House on the Hill. Um, let's see here. I would say. Um, well, now also my mind just went blank. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, but <laughs> one that I can think of, it's made by Fantasy Flight, Arkham Horror. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's one of my it's one of my go to games like once a year because it takes so long to set up and there's so much to it. And the thing I really dislike about the game, if there's anything I dislike about the game, is the fact that it can take you longer to set it up than it takes you to lose it. Yep. You know. Um. But you you know um. So there, there are definitely, and there are pages upon pages of, of rules for Arkham Horror. Um, and I don't think, in all the times we've played it, uh, the group that I play games with, I don't think we've ever played it 100% completely right, you know? And and that's one of the big things. Um, now, Ticket to Ride is a Euro game, I believe. Days of yeah, Wonder. Yep, I would call it that. Um, Dominion. Where would you put Dominion? That's a that's card game more than you know, board game. I, I would put that more in the Euro category as well. Would you? I would. Um, I believe Dominion would be more of a Euro game. If I had to say more American style games, you know, I'm thinking heavily theme oriented games. Games like, um, oh, Fury of Dracula, um, Descent, um, any of those dungeon crawl type games, Talisman or okay, um, Doom, those kinds of games. Now. Um, Talisman, I know you're a fan of that game, are you not? I, you know, I was, it was, but it's kind of lost a little bit of its, its, uh, appeal to me. I still own it, it's still in my collection, and I'll still pull it out and play it every once in a while, but it doesn't see too much playtime anymore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, one of them that you mentioned <clears throat> that I really actually tend to like is Fury of Dracula. 
But the th the problem with fear, well, I shouldn't say it's a problem, but there is there is that contention point like you talked about with American games. One person plays Dracula, four other people. Now those four, they get to work together and you know plan and everything together but then they're they're still up against dracula sure. and they chase them around europe and try to i mean you know how the game works um for people out there basically what it is is dracula's movements are hidden until the players get close enough to finding him that um they start to basically find clues that dracula's been here kind of thing and then they can work to um to trap and then defeat dracula um there are um and, and it can get pretty contentious sometimes because it, you can be right on Dracula's tail for quite a while and then he just disappears. So, um, you know, I can see that. Now, when you when you talk Euro games, um, are you familiar with the game Stone Age? Oh, yes. Okay. Now, would you consider that a Euro-style game? Well, Because I... you do have the collection of resources... Um, you do have pretty streamlined, um, rules. I mean, it's, I think it's a page and a half of rules. Sure. Yeah. I would say that Stone Age is kind of, um, it's kind of a hybrid between the two actually, which is really neat because to see the evolution of gaming where it used to be very clear cut that this game was a Euro game, this game was mm -hmm. American style and Stone Age would fall between the middle because you have worker placement, which is generally a very Euro style mechanic. Um, but you also have dice, and dice in games is generally a telltale sign of leaning towards the American style, uh, because you're introducing that that randomness, that luck right. and it's aspect a, into the game. And it's a randomness that if you roll poorly, you could not get the resource you're after. True. Where with like Euro games, where if you place your worker, you're going to get something for that worker. Right. You know. And you can mitigate that to some extent in Stone Age. There are some mechanics built in where you can put more than one worker in a space to be able to roll more than one die. You can, um, you know, in that particular game, you can you can send uh, two meeples, which are little wooden figures, right, uh, to what's known as the Love Hut. And yes, the Love Hut. An extra worker, right. which can help you later on. Well, down yeah, there the are, and you're right. Um, there, there's that that mix because you can also get um, farms, which help feed your people, and that's an automatic if you get your guy there. Correct. Yeah. Um, Technology is another one where you're guaranteed something if you get your guy there. Yeah. And so you, tools, tools will help add to your die rolls, which, right. which is helpful as well. Yeah. Um, so all these things are in the game to help mitigate that that luck. But again, when it comes down to it, uh, the dice are kind of um, very important in that game. They're, they're a primary mechanic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And an, another game that's similar to that, I would say, I'm not sure, are you familiar with Kingsburg? I have seen it. I have picked it up. I have looked at it, but I have never played okay. it. Well, that's it's another what I would call worker placement game, except the dice are your workers. So you roll three six-sided dice, and based on the numbers that you roll are where you can place it on the board, uh, which is very intriguing because it, it mixes, again, the Euro with the American uh, right. style. But that makes a lot of randomness. I mean, it's, it's not like um, Stone Age where if I'm after wood, I put three meeples on wood, I throw three dice, and whatever that total comes to, I get that many wood. Correct, yeah. Um, this is more like, well, I really need wood, but I roll my three dice and I can only put it on, you know, clay and stone and food. Yeah. But the neat thing about that game is, is you can kind of mitigate that because there are multiple squares that will give you wood in that game, multiple spaces, I should say, and you can add your dice together. So maybe a six would give me wood and I can't remember off the top of my head. Right. I don't think it's a six, but let's say you roll a two and a four, you can place your two and a four on the six space 
which is kind of oh, neat. Okay. So then you're so, deciding to use two of your three dice, though. Right. To, how important is that, that wood? Resource. How right. how important is that wood or that resource? Exactly. Um, the other game I was thinking of is the um, oh now I'm I'm blanking it. It's the uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Sure. Where do you where do you place Lords of Waterdeep? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that the theme is uh, well, it's a Dungeons and Dragons theme, right? Which is very clearly in a American style theme, but the mechanics of it, it plays like a Euro game. It's a worker placement game, almost a pure worker placement. Almost, game. yeah. So I would, I would definitely put it in the European style of games. Okay. Um, and it's a wonderful game. It really is. Um, and really, you could have put just about any theme on that game, but yes. it works well with the theme they they chose as well. So. Right. Now, the last two I'm going to bring up by title here before we move on to your next points is is train games in, in general. So now I want to talk about Ticket to Ride, and then like um, you know the European train games, like your um, uh, Euro Rails or uh, Empire Builder or things sure. like that. Yep. So now, Ticket to Ride, I would say, is probably very much an American-style game. Or do you disagree with that? Well, again, it's it's kind of, if I'm not mistaken, Ticket to Ride is Alan Moon, yep. uh, who is an American. Um, and I think that it's an American-style game, but it was heavily influenced by European-style games. Well, the randomness comes down to your destination tickets. Correct. And to the 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 available colors that you can use to build sure, your trains. The drawing of the trains. Right. right. Yeah. Now and then there is um, the other games I was talking about, like Euro Rails or uh, Rail Builders or um, you know uh, all those games. There's there's several in that series. Sure. And I have I have for example, if you want to go in that series, I've got Australian Rails, I've got Euro Rails, I've got British Rails. I've got Empire Builder, and I've even got Iron Dragon, which is a fantasy themed right. And I've uh, got rail game in I've got European or, or Euro Rails. I've got Empire Builder, and I've got um, Nippon Rails, which is set in Japan. Sure. Yep. So um, now those are a little different because it's based on you get X amount of dollars to start, and you have to build your rail, and then you have to fulfill these random tickets you get that are moving basically. Uh, product from one place to another for x amount of uh, of dollars um and you have to build up to a certain level 250 million dollars and be connected to depending on the game five to seven um major, major cities, cities. Yep. so now to me that that is definitely a european game yes yep. i mean i know it's made in europe uh, obviously um but um even the style is european if you ask me sure and i really enjoy those games uh, my biggest complaint about that game, or those games in particular, are the paper money. I am I am not a fan of paper money. I much prefer, and it's a minor like complaint. chits or something. Exactly. I'd rather have little cardboard tokens or something like that. Um, I just think that the paper money, like Monopoly, is kind of you know board game manufacturers use it because it's probably the cheapest way to right. produce money. Um, you know, you know honestly, what my biggest complaint about the money in those games are. What's that? Is that it doesn't matter what version you have, it's the same money. They don't change it for each individual, um, you know. Yeah, you don't I mean, have European pounds. You don't have yen in um, in Nippon. You don't. I mean, it's all dollars. Right. Yeah. 
And I and I always think that's kind of a cop out. Well, it is, and it's again, it's it's a board game manufacturing thing where they're trying to uh, keep the costs down on production, and so they're probably using the same money as you say in all of those games. I really haven't noticed, but but now that you say that, I think you're right. I think they're all the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I've noticed that over the years, and I've always it's, it's it's always been one of those things. Like you said, it's not a big deal. It's not going to stop me from playing the game, but it's just one of those things. It's like, man, I I wish they would do. Um, you know, that little, that little bit of, you know, detail. Sure. But, and I should mention too, um, you know, I talked about my collection briefly right now. My collection is, uh, approximately 200 games, uh, which is to some that seems like an awful lot. And, and rightfully it is, I think, because, you know, if you play a game a week, it's going to take you four years, assuming you play different games to get through right. them. Um, and now obviously I'll, I'll play, um, I try and play about once a week. Um, usually on Friday or Saturday evening, but again, I, I have a family as do you, uh, a lot of my friends have families. And so I guess one of the questions I'd like to talk about is how much is too much, you know, how, how much time can I give to this hobby that I really enjoy, but I've got all these other things pulling in my life as well. I've got my family, I've got my job, I've got, uh, in my case, I'm undergoing formation for diaconate formation. And that's always something that I have to be careful with in terms of um, time exactly and making sure that that I'm not becoming a slave to my games with with an addiction but rather keeping a healthy uh, perspective on it and uh, being able to play it in moderation you know and that's always a good question I mean if you look around I've got I don't obviously have as many board games as you um, but then again um, we both know a guy who's got well over I want to say 750 games now sure yeah um, and you know, and they play at least once a week. Um, but he is, and I've asked him, I'm like, have you played all these games? And he's like, well, no, I mean, some are still in the wrapper. And I'm like, but does that then, or then you then crossing a line, you know, because if you're not playing them, you're collecting them. Right. And is, is that worth, you know, I mean, games are not cheap, you know, um, most games run somewhere between 40 and $60 retail. Sure. You know, some more, some a little less. But, um, you know, I, I probably have maybe 50 games somewhere in that in that vicinity. And I tend to collect games that are a series of games. Like, I'm looking at my shelf right now. I can see I've got seven Dominion games. I've got five, six Ticket to Ride games. I've got, you know, three sets of Arkham Horror kind of thing. Um, I've got a half dozen Monopoly games, you know, so I tend to collect in, in series because I find a game I really like and, you know, when they, when they do expansions or, or something like that, that's where I tend to go. How much is too much? You know, that's a great question and it's a question that I've struggled with all through my married life, um, you know, and every once in a while, Nikki will say, hey, time to take a step back, something's got to go. Um... You've noticed it. I mean, you you send me a text almost every week, and very rarely do I actually get to your house to play board games because, like you said, everything everything pulls at you. And with in my case, I've got two girls that are teenagers. One's getting ready to go off to college in the fall. The other one uh, has started driving now. <laughs> well, she she's uh you know she's just got done with the class and she's got her temps and so. Yeah, it's kind of a scary thought. So, but you know, there's a lot of things, and they've got stuff going on, and we've got stuff going on, and it makes for a lot of stuff going on. So, when 
when is too much too much? It, it, it's up to the individual family set. But, I mean, for me, right now, I game. I have three game groups. So I game uh, one Tuesday a month, one Friday a month, and then, I'm sorry, one Tuesday a month, one Friday a month, one Saturday a month. I actually have four groups. And then I game every Sunday night. Um, so, I mean, the, the once a month isn't a big deal. Um, except when that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all hit in the same weekend, and that happens occasionally. And then, you know, then I start getting the, I start getting the stink eye because it's, then it's too much, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it, it really, I mean, you have to look at your, your family, your, your work life. And then I guess social life kind of comes third and gaming and role playing and that kind of stuff all fall into that social life. Right. It has to have. You know, rightfully so. I think it, it's it's very enjoyable, but it needs to be it needs to be last in terms of priorities for for family and, and so on coming first. Right. Um, now you mentioned you you game in those four groups. As I said, I try and game. Typically, I try and do it once a week, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't always work out. There are times where I'll go three or four weeks without playing. Um, but typically. Um, and then you, you know, get lucky every once in a while, and I know we get those texts every once in a while. We're gaming all weekend. Yeah, well, not yeah. And sometimes, it's been a while. sometimes I'll do a Friday and a Saturday if it's one of those rare occurrences where I have a free weekend, and um, especially in the winter where where I can't get out to my garage and and do things. I've got a hundred year old house, so um, that's one of those things that during the summer I'm always fixing something. It seems right, right. Um, I've got another baby on the way, so I'm I'm looking at uh, building uh, things like a crib. I've got bunk beds I want to make for the boys. I've got uh, an addition I want to put onto the slide that they use. Okay. Their swing set, rather. I'm going to add a slide to it. So you got all these different things vying for time. And um, and as you said, something's got to give. And for me, that, that something is the game. So um, as much as I enjoy them, and it's, it's great to play them, and I really do enjoy when I can get together once a week or, or however often it is. Um, but... Um, I think, you know, just keeping that healthy perspective is, is so very important. And it is. And um, a few episodes ago, actually, uh, Tim Bishop was here, and we talked about um, game-related addiction, you know, because it's like in, in this world now where we've all got games on our phones, we've all got games, you know, anywhere you turn, you can find a game to play it, on your computer, on your phone, in your basement, whatever it is. And, you know, and when those things start encroaching upon the more important things is when it becomes a problem. Sure. You know, and I don't know. I mean, I don't like being like, I'm supposed to be gaming tonight, but there's something going on with the family. Nobody likes to go, well, I, I can't go gaming, but you do it because family's more important. When you start going gaming instead of going to your kid's recital or something, then it's a problem. Right. So, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So what do you got next? Well, I have a couple of things that I've got here that I thought uh, would be interesting. I've got a series of questions I thought you and I could debate. I've got, uh, I've actually done my own top ten lists of games. Okay. I don't know if you're interested in that at all. Um, and then I have some honorable mentions on those too, because, because it's hard for me to come up with just ten games that, that I really like. So. Well, let's start with the, the debate questions. Because I think okay, that, that sure. might be fun. Okay. Uh, let's talk uh, board gaming etiquette. What is proper board gaming etiquette? Say you're invited over to a friend's house 
what do you think, uh, how should you act, should you bring anything, uh, those kinds of things. Well, I've always been a big fan of when I go, whether it's role-playing or board gaming, I tend to bring my own drink. Okay. Um, because, well, for a couple reasons. One, it's it's not their place to, you know, feed and, and water me. Sure. Um, two, I drink a lot. Anybody that knows me knows that I constantly have something to drink. Um, so it's not fair for me to go to somebody's house and drink a 12 pack of soda or, you know, right. two gallons of Kool-Aid or whatever I happen to be drinking at the time. Yeah. So I tend to do that. I tend to, to bring my own stuff. Now, it's funny that you say that because that was actually one of the things I was, I was going to point out because, well, I know that you, you host gamers fairly often at yep. your house and I used to host gamers a lot, but now it's, it's basically down to the board games, you know, on average, maybe once a week or so. Um, but and it's not a problem to give somebody you know a soda or a drink right periodically but when you've got you know three four five six people coming over and you're doing it every single week that that can add up quite quickly right and, and, so, the, and the groups that i game with once a month what we I, it's always been bring your own whatever you sure. know and sure sometimes i give out a soda or sometimes i give out some water or, you know whatever and i don't have a problem doing that um you know, and then once every three, four months, we'll be like, hey, let's get together early. We'll do a potluck. Everybody bring a dish, you know, and then I'll usually go out and I'll buy soda or whatever because then it's like they're already bringing food. So sure, I'll do it something. Becomes, it becomes, you know, and that's one of the nice things about gaming too over, uh, say, computer or video games, which even though those are fun, I think gaming in person is so much more sociable. You know? It is. I, I, I really – I never really got in the, in the video games. I mean, I did back in the day, you know, like the Sega Genesis days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the new games, I, I don't really play because I get motion sick. You know, they're, they're just, uh, for whatever reason, I can't handle them. Um, but I don't think I would do a lot of it anyway because there is that social interaction. And as a person, I'm a very social person. I don't do well on my own. I don't do well just being, you know, I, I need people around me and that's so, yeah you're more extroverted than oh yeah absolutely yeah. and um so that but as far as getting back to etiquette sure. um do you bring anything i i say bring your own food and drink you know snacks whatever now if somebody calls you up and goes hey we're doing board games i've got these snacks that i'm going to put out there and you don't want to bring anything extra fine sure you know um uh, sometimes and i've even done this to you i'll say hey you want me to bring a game you know if the person that's putting on the on the on the party or whatever you want to call it says we're playing these games, okay, then you make a choice. Do I want to go play that game? And if I do, then I go and play the game. If I don't, don't go there and have a bad attitude because you didn't really want to play this game. Don't bring your own games and try to force them on people. Right. Um, that's just my personal uh, opinion. You're you're basically going right down my list. These were the same things. That okay. I wrote, you know, is is who who gets to pick the game? And I host a lot, but and occasionally people will come over on a on a Friday or a Saturday night, and I'll say, "Well, I, I was really looking to play this game. You know, I just picked it up. I'd like to try it." And most of the time, they're cool with that. But I would say at least half the time, if not more, I'll when everybody's arrived, I'll just say, "Well, let's go look and pick out a game." And so we'll go out to uh, where I've got the games stored on my on my patio. And I will just, you know, we'll look at them and say, okay, how does this sound? How does this sound? How does mm-hmm. this sound? And eventually we'll come upon a game that, that most people want to play. And I think that's a good way to do it. And with this number, the number of games you have, that's a great way to do it. Um, you know, 
when I when I do board games, I'll say, hey, who wants to come over and play this game? And if nobody wants to play that game, I'll say, okay, then what do you guys want to play? And some people go, well, I could bring this or I can bring that. And then, fine. You know, I don't have a problem unless they say I want to bring uh, Robo Rally. Then I tell them <laughs> to get out of my house because <laughs> Robo Rally actually is not a bad game. It's not um, a good game. <laughs> as long as you play the key to Robo Rally that I found, it's, it's one of the games in my collection, is that you need to play on a small enough map. I've, I've heard that before, if too. People, no more than two squares that are they're about a foot uh, by a foot and no more than two of them one is probably even preferable um, but two of them is doable if you go more than two robo rally is is just way too random and way too hard um, to play in a, a you know short amount of time not that it has to be short but I like to you know if I'm going to spend two or three hours in a game I want to know that it's a game I'm really going to enjoy. Yeah, you know, and I am not, like I said, I'm not a fan of Robo Rally. I've, I've played it several times over the years, um, but that's one of those games that has hit my list. That if, if Mike sends me a text and says, "Hey, we're playing Robo Rally tonight," <laughs> I'm going to write back and say, "Have fun," <laughs> you know. Or if you're going to be like, or if you uh, call me up or whatever and say, "Hey, we're going to play," uh, uh, you know. Um, um, uh, why can't I think of it now? The, uh, the worker placement game. Um, um, Agricola? No, 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 no. Um, the one my wife likes. Um, oh, Settlers of Catan? Settlers of Catan. Okay. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, we're going to play Settlers of Catan, I'm going to say, have fun, because <laughs> it's not a game I want to play. Um, you know, and I don't expect you to change. And that's the other thing when it comes to etiquette is I'm not going to be like, well, I'm not going to play Settlers of Catan, play something else. I'm going to say, no, you know, guys, have fun. Call me next week when you're playing something different. Yeah. So. All right. Getting back to etiquette, a couple other things I would point out, too, is uh, I am kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to say overprotective of my games, but it's great if they want to bring a snack, but I really, it, it, really uh it's like nails on a chalkboard to me when somebody brings cheetos or doritos or something of that for a snack food <laughs> yeah i can um, see that i can see that <laughs> you know there are certain snacks that i think are acceptable and, and wonderful for board gaming there's other snacks that i would kind of frown upon and uh and would prefer that people not touch yeah the absolutely game components with. you know and it's kind of funny because my copy of arkham horror um is coffee stained to this day because um, every summer I run a board game slash RPG night at one of the local coffee houses during the summer months. And the first year I did it, I brought Arkham Horror. I was going to set it up one night. I had it all set up. And Jake comes in, sets his coffee down, manages to turn around and knock his coffee all over my board. Oh, no. All over my cards. Oh, wow. I was, let's just say I was not happy. Right. Um. But now, with Jake being gone, I'm never going to get rid of that copy right. of Arkham Horror because that's a reminder. Right. You know? It's a memory. Yep. It's also a memory and a reminder not to take it when I do open board game nights. <laughs> sure. And and I do kind of the same thing, too, is sometimes, you know, if people are drinking at the table, which happens, you know, 90% of the well, time, yeah. I'll usually, at the very least, have them put their drinks towards the edge of the table so that if it does get knocked off, it's it going to hit the off, floor. Yeah, it's going to go you off. Know, it's going to hit the floor and not and, your board And game. I have had a few spills on my games, but for the most part, uh, they're fairly uh, pristine yet, which is which is a good thing. Yeah, and um, most of mine are too. Um, 
but it's just those things. It, it happens, especially with having kids. Right. If you're able to keep your board games relatively pristine with having little kids, you're doing something right. Yeah, or you're you're not playing those games with your kids yet. Well, that too. In the case of mine, you know, we've got kids games, and then we've got the games that right. that I like to play. Um, and I'll play those games with my kids because you know it's it's fun to play with your kids uh, to some extent. But the kids games are are often so simple that I don't get the enjoyment that I do out of out of the adult. Right, games. the enjoyment there just comes from spending time with your kids. Correct. Right. Yep. All right. So what's your what's your next question on the list of questions? All right. How long is too long for a board game? <sighs> That's a good question, and it depends on the board game. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Okay. okay. So, well, we'll go to one extreme first. And I haven't played this game in years, but I can remember back in high school, I played a game of Diplomacy. And I don't know if you've played this. I have played Diplomacy, okay. yes. And Diplomacy takes hours and hours and hours. And the way and we days did it and weekends. is we submitted via email, when email is relatively new. Okay. Uh, we submitted our moves via email, uh, and it was kind of a long-distance game. They would upload the photo of the board as the person moved the pieces around. And every Sunday and every Wednesday, we would submit orders. Okay. And so Sunday night and Wednesday night, the board would be updated at a certain time. And so this game went on for months. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, but if you were going to sit down and play it start to finish, you're probably talking 10, 12 hours, uh, possibly. Yeah, we, we used to do diplomacy weekends when I was at, at college. We would start Friday night, and then we would play until everybody got tired, and then we'd get back Sunday or Saturday afternoon, and we'd play all day into the night. Yeah. And then, if need be, you get together on you know Sunday and finish up. Sure. And and we could easily run that amount of time. You know. Yeah. It was probably a good you know twelve, fourteen, sometimes sixteen hours to. And and it's a fun game, but but the problem with games like diplomacy is if I'm investing twelve or more hours in a board game. You know, I could play six, seven, eight other games. Yeah, the exactly. Time. And would I have more fun doing those six, seven, or eight games than playing this one? Um, the well, other problem with diplomacy is it tends to end friendships, but that's that's another point. So <laughs> diplomacy also tends to be too much like work. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I did I did pick up a game that I haven't um, I haven't even opened the box yet called Twilight Imperium Third Edition. Okay. And the playtime on this box says four to six hours. And generally what I found is that playtime for first-time players, if you've got four people, you almost need to double that playtime. Yeah, especially so you're when you're learning the rules and right. things like that. And so I'm looking at probably eight to 12 hours for this game. Now, I may not get to play this, you know, especially with my family. I don't have a block of eight to 12 hours very often. Right, right. Um, so... It's been on my shelf for probably almost a year, and it will probably be on that shelf for another year or two before I even think about maybe trying to get some friends together to play this. Um, yeah, I, I started a game of Twilight Imperium once when we had the shop. Okay. We did it on a Saturday, I want to say, and we started as soon as we opened the shop at uh, 10 a.m., and when we closed down at 10 p.m., we still weren't done. Okay. Wow. Now, granted, it wasn't solid 12 hours. Right. But it was pretty close. Right. And it's just, it's insane. It's an I've insane. I've heard great things about the game, and I really want to play it to the point where I picked it up. Right. Um, but it's it's one of those games where I'm going to have to plan, like, a whole Saturday 
to play this game, and that's difficult to do. I'm going to have to wait till the stars align or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, the wife and the kids are gone on, on some, right. you know, trip or, or who knows. That's about the only time I'm going to get to play that because I can't take 12 hours and just sit down and play that anymore. Well, and the, then to find enough people to sit down and play with you for that block of time. Right. I mean, for me to find a Saturday with 12 hours available – yeah, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's just so not that was kind that... of my hopeful buy. You know, I was I, I bought it knowing full well that I'm not going to be able to play this right. very often, and uh, and you hopefully know, one day I'll get to it. And, and keep it in that pristine condition on open because when they print, you know, uh, version four or version five, uh, closed box, you know, version three is going to be worth something. It could be. It and could if be. you never get a chance to play it, might as well keep it closed. Right. Yeah. So where is that sweet spot? What If you're going to sit down for a board game, what's the time length that you're looking for, for a game? Personally, for me, two to four hours. Okay. That's, that's, so you're even on the longer side, I would say. Yeah. Um, my sweet spot is probably an hour and a half to two and a half hours. You know, if I'm looking for a good game for, for kind of the main course of the night, so mm -hmm. to speak, uh, because when I get together with friends on a, on a Friday night or a Saturday night, we'll start gaming typically around 7.30. And we'll usually go till 11 or 12 o'clock, depending on what people have to do the right. next day. Um, sometimes 10 if it's, you know, if it's a early night for somebody. But usually I would say about 11, 11.30 is average. Um, and so what I will do is, is we'll typically play one big game. And by that I mean anything from an hour and a half to three hours. Right. Um, if it starts getting over three hours, it, it usually doesn't hit the table very often at all. I mean, and that makes sense because once you, you know, if the box is three hours, it's never going to be three no, hours. If the box is three hours, it's four and a half. You, you yeah. 50% is typically, if, and as long as you've got at least one new player, that's how it works. Right. Even if you have four guys that have played it before, um, like if you take, let's say, Ticket to Ride, for example. Mm -hmm. Ticket to Ride says it's a 45-minute game. <laughs> it's an hour and a never, half every time. I've never finished that game in less than an hour. Yeah. It's an um, hour to hour and a half every yeah, time. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's just because people think, people, you know, and I think when they're putting these times on there, there's four guys sitting around that have invented the game. They know exactly what every card is. They know exactly how everything plays out. And I think they sit down and like, all right, okay, that took us 45 minutes. Sounds good. Sure. And I think, it, you know, that's that's the optimistic view of that. I think they just kind of outright lie because they know if they put the actual time on the game, <laughs> nobody's going to buy Especially it. with things like Imperium. <laughs> exactly. So, but then... You know, once we play that, that main course game, so to speak, I like to have a bunch of shorter games yep. that I'll play with people, kind of known as fillers. You know, they, they fill that gap. And those are typically around 30 to 45 minutes each. Or even know? shorter, things or like even, Love Letters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you know the game uh, Code Names? Yeah, yep. I and have Code Names and Code Names Pictures. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah Code Names is another one that we play once in a while after a night of RPG or something, you know. Sure. Um, just something to fill in, you know. Love letter we, for sale. Unusual suspects. Spyfall. Bang the dice game. Uh, bang. And timeline. Those are all, you know, quick fillers. Oh yeah, timeline's a great game. I've got a couple versions of timeline. The other one I like is Flux. Flux is a good filler game too. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Flux. I'm familiar with it. I've never actually played it. But okay. I've, I've, there's a million editions out there, and I've seen it. I kind of know how it works with the changing uh, victory conditions. Yeah. 
um, but I've never actually sat in a game. Because I've heard with Flux that you can win in five minutes, and I've heard in Flux that you could be playing for two hours. <laughs> and those are both true times. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never actually sat down, because when I sit down for a game, I want to have a little better understanding of how long it's going to take. Yeah, Flux, on average, I would say a game of Flux takes about 15 minutes. Okay. Um, there are, especially in the base game, now, we own six or seven versions of Flux. Okay. Um, but in the base game, just the Flux original game, there's a there's a there's a victory um, that is called "All You Need Is Love," and literally that's all you need is the person who has love on the table wins. But they can't have any other they can't have any other the um, the winning victories. They just have to have love. So, you know, I've seen that I've seen that game happen in two turns, yep. and it's over. But then again, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. It's usually about 15 minutes, give or take. Yeah, and that's that's fine. You know, most of those games, and and Flux is certainly not the only game that suffers from that problem. You mentioned Love Letter, which I I really uh, like a lot, um, and there's a bunch of different editions of that. It sounds like a really lame game, but it's, yeah, when you it's first actually told really me, fun. The first time you brought that out and we were playing that, I'm like, what are we playing? Exactly, <laughs> right. It sounds like, what are you thinking, you know? Yeah. But because uh, it's you draw a card, you play a card. The rules are so simple. But in a in a four player game, I think you play to four tokens. So if everybody is tied at three, you could be playing ten rounds of that game. Now yeah. each round only takes maybe three to five minutes. Yeah, it doesn't take long. But if you're playing ten rounds, you could be playing that for an hour. Um, you know, and it happens more often than not in a three player game where you're playing to five tokens. Now all of a sudden you got to you're you're tied at four each and you're playing your thirteenth round, round. yeah. <laughs> Which, you Which know. still when you when you add all those rounds up at three to five minutes, it's still not that bad. It's still no, under an hour. You're about an hour, yeah. But it it's you know it can easily be an hour game or it could be a ten minute game. Exactly. If so. somebody runs away with it, you could be done in ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So what's yeah. next on your list? All right. How do you feel about cooperative games? I love cooperative games. Okay, we're on the um, same page there. Arkham Horror is a cooperative game. Yep. It's it's everybody against the board game. Um, I even like to to put things like uh, Fury of Dracula into that. Yes, there's the one guy that everybody's chasing around, but there's four people that are cooperating. Sure. Um, I'm thinking like Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, all those um, games too. And then you've also got those games that are that are not just cooperative, but they can be semi-cooperative or they could even involve a trader uh and those are interesting games too yeah things like um dead oh, of winter would, would possibly i have not have... played that one yet but it looks amazing you'll have to come by sometime we'll um play. there's also um a, a, something over camelot um oh shadows over camelot. shadows over camelot yep, i have that one which um is again the same thing it's a cooperative game except sure. for the one trader that might be in there and i like the way they set it up because they put um, there's a traitor in the mix of all you picking who you are, but there's also a chance that nobody's the traitor. Right. And you don't know. There could be, right. There could be a traitor. There could, everybody could be on the same team and, and you know, you're just accusing each other and there's nothing there. Right. Yep. Um, what was the other game? Oh, police precinct is one that I picked up relatively recently. Okay. That one I last, haven't heard of, but the last six months, you're all investigators investigating this murder, uh, or police officers, detectives, and, uh, there's a chance again that one of you could be a dirty cop, oh, but okay. you don't necessarily know it. So, uh, which is kind of neat. It's kind of a um, a mystery type game where you're trying to solve this murder, but at the same time, one of you might be 
actively trying to hinder the investigation and hiding evidence and things like that, oh. which and moving it, you know, which which is uh, now I've only played it once. And we played the the first version they recommended not playing with the traitor. So I didn't okay. play with the traitor. And that was it was a phenomenal game as a cooperative game, fully cooperative. But the next time I play it, I want to throw in at least the possibility of the traitor. So you, you put that in the, the mix of cards and then you deal one to every player. Yeah. And then again there's a chance that one of you gets that traitor card. Now what's the game we've played in the past where um you're all spies? Um it's the card game, and you're... Spyfall, is that what you're thinking? No, no. Um, some of you are good guys, and some of you are bad guys, and I can't remember the name of it now. Um, spies. We've played... Maybe not Spies, um, but I thought somebody is... It's like some are Russian and some are American. Oh, are you thinking the Resistance? Maybe? Yes, the Resistance one. Okay, sure, where it takes place in the distant future. Right. Where the government has become corrupt, and... Uh, the uh, the resistance is is actively fighting the government, and you have a government that is trying to infiltrate the resistance. So right, that's right. a lot of fun. Yeah, that's... that one was fun. Um, and especially games like that, the more people you have, the more fun they become. Sure, and that game actually, if I remember correct, is five to ten players. So yeah, that's one of those go to games where if I get a few too many people that show up for game night, that's probably coming out. You know, if I right. get eight people around the table. That's a game that you can play, which is it's nice to have those kinds of yeah, games. Yeah, that stuff like the Resistance, like Werewolf. Yeah. Um, One Night Ultimate Werewolf. They're coming out with Aliens this summer, I believe. I played um, a version of Werewolf when I was at GameholeCon this past year. That was witches. Okay. So um, instead of a werewolf, um, some of you are witches, some of you are townsfolk, and then they use the townsfolk to. to I, I think I've heard of that. Um, is it like Salem or something like that? Or I can't remember. I can't remember. Actually, um, it was kind of funny how we ended up playing. We were walking. We were getting ready to go back to the hotel for the night. And they just kind of grabbed us and they're like, hey, we're going to play this game of werewolf. So I thought we were going to sit down and play werewolf. But no, it was actually, it was werewolf, but it was a witch's version of werewolf. So yeah. it was kind of neat. And like I said, one of the games that, that sounds really appealing to me is they're coming out with an alien-themed version of that. Oh. So one or more of you might be aliens in this town and you're trying to figure out who the aliens are. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of neat. That's kind of cool. So you got like these little green men, Martians or whatever, walking around your town and you're trying to figure out who the, who yeah. the aliens are. So they're all basically the same game, just different themes. Yeah. Whether they're you got well, a werewolf or a witch or an alien. Well, the one nice thing um, about the witch, and I don't think they do this in werewolf. Now it's been a lot of years since I've actually played a game of werewolf, but when they hang you for being a witch, whether you're a witch or not. <laughs> Each morning somebody dies. Somebody gets hung for being a witch. Okay. Now, when you die, you become either an angel, which means you weren't a witch. Okay. Or you become a demon, which means you were a witch. Okay. And then those groups go off to each other, and the angels can save somebody each night as everybody's sleeping, you know, and everybody's heads down just like werewolf. You can, we, as, as angels, the game I played and we were angels, we could choose somebody to save. Okay. And then if they were chosen for execution, then nobody died. <laughs> so it was well, kind of neat. And as a demon, they could go around and they could whisper into the judge's ear who they thought was a witch to make the, the judge decide who to kill. Okay. It was, it was, it was kind of, a, it was an extra, sure. something extra to the basic werewolf. Yeah. Uh, theologically, probably not the most sound, but uh, no, no, but absolutely not. Fun, I can see how how people could enjoy that. Um, yeah, 
But um, all right, so now let's we're getting right around that hour here now. So let's go ahead. Let's give us give us your top ten. My top ten. Give us your top ten. Now this is my top ten that uh, it changes. You know, a lot of it depends on what I'm in the mood for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I would say that my top uh, mechanics are worker placement, um, deck building. Um, those are probably my two favorite mechanics. So you'll okay. see a lot of that on it. Okay. So if I had to go my number one favorite game. Well, start at 10 and work your way up. Okay, that's a good point, yes. So number 10 is definitely a American-style game. Okay. Created by Richard Garfield, I believe. Okay. Called... Um, um, Magic the Gathering? No. No? no Which no, one are you talking about? King of Tokyo. Oh, King of Tokyo. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, number nine. Just so everybody knows, I'm not insane. Richard Garfield <laughs> did do Magic the he Gathering. Did. He did. Uh, number nine is Mission Red Planet, uh, which is a neat little game where you're you're colonizing Mars. Okay. And uh, there's there's a really neat mechanics in that game where uh, everybody has the same cards numbered one through eight, and you play one, and it will do a, a different thing. Um, and then once you've played it, you can't get it back until you play. Uh, one of your cards, which gives you all your cards back. Oh, okay. Um, but it's kind of neat. You put your people on these ships, and then you send them off, and you're trying to sabotage the other people's ships and <laughs> make them blow up and that kind of thing. So, so just like corporate espionage. Exactly. It's, all right. It's pretty fun. Number eight is Mechs versus Minions. It's kind of an updated Robo Rally. I would say it's a fun version of Robo Rally. Um, <laughs> you would probably enjoy this game, but uh, I would give it. There's, there's not a game I won't try to play. Sure. It's it's much less. But random. trying to sell it to me as a updated version of Robo uh, Rally is probably update. I said a fun version. <laughs> it's <laughs> probably not your best sales. Robo pitch. Rally is fun too, but uh, I, but this one I think well, is better. Okay. Uh, it's actually from League of Legends, the same company okay. that does the video game, which I I'm not familiar at all with the video game, but I I'm not the either. Okay. Um, supposedly League of Legends is a really big video game, but I'm just not familiar with it. Uh, Champions of Midgard is a Viking-themed worker placement game. Okay. Uh, that's number seven. Number six is Legendary, the Marvel deck-building game. Yep. Uh, where you've got superheroes from Marvel, uh, and it's a semi-cooperative game. You're working as a team to defeat the bad guys. Uh, number five is Pillars of the Earth. One I have never played. That is a great game. It's currently out of print. I, I believe it'll probably be reprinted at some point. Um, but it's a it's a wonderful worker placement game. Okay. Uh, number four is Thunderstorm. I'm sorry, Thunderstone. Okay, that's a deck are, builder. Yep, it's a deck builder where you're going kind of cave, um, dungeon crawling, so to speak. Right. Uh, number three, you may be familiar with. It's called Stone Age. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a big fan of Stone Age, and I would say, you know, I didn't obviously I didn't put together a top ten list, but I would say Stone Age is probably in my top five. Okay. Yeah, I really enjoy Stone Age. I do. Even though it has that, that element of randomness with the dice, you can mitigate that, as we talked about. And I, I really think it's a very streamlined game. Very well. Yeah, absolutely. Very and well it, built in a And it plays time. really well in an hour or so. It does. Yep. Um, number two is Dominion, another deck builder. The Really the first deck builder that put deck building on the map. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There may have been those before it, but Dominion is, is the reigning king. Now, do you have... All of the versions of Dominion? I do not. I have probably five or six versions okay. of Dominion. I have all of them up through the Hinterlands, and I haven't bought anything since Hinterlands. Okay. So I think there's like three or four more since yeah, then. Yeah, and they've, they've actually started coming out with second edition now. 
uh, which they're doing basically the same versions, but they're they're second edition. So they fixed some things. They've taken some cards out. They took some of the broken cards yeah, out. Yeah, they took the broken cards out and they're putting different ones in. So so it's interesting. Yeah. And then my number one favorite game, if time is not an issue, and uh, and I've got four people that really know how to play it, um, including myself, uh, is probably Agricola, uh, which sounds again like a really lame game. Uh, it's the word is Latin for farmer. Yeah. And uh, you're farming and you're gathering resources and you're building up your farm. Now um, I've not played Agricola, but I uh, my friend Pete, which I think you've met Pete before. Yeah. Yeah. He loves the game. Sure. Um, but yeah, I it's one of those games I it's on my list of games that I that I want to play, but. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of fun. It can be a little long. Now it says that it goes up to six or seven players. I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's seven. Don't believe it. Don't play this game. <laughs> Do not play this game. I can't stress this enough. If you've got more than four people, forget about it. It plays best with three or four. You can play it solo. Um, but that's, uh, that's another one of those questions I was going to ask you is, do you play solo board games? I never have. Yeah. No. And that's me too. If I'm, if I'm going to play a board game, I want that social interaction. Yeah. Um, Cause I know like Arkham Horror can be played as a solo game yep. and I'm like, no, I'm not going to spend an hour to set this thing up exactly to play by myself. No. I... Yeah. And I mean, they, they make games out there for, for solo gamers and I, I call them video games. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. You can get on a tablet. You can get a lot of great board games. Yeah. On if a I want to play a game by myself, I, I've got my phone. Exactly. I've got internet access. Yeah. And, uh, and nothing. I mean, if people want to play solo games, that's fine. Um, but I, you know, half the fun or even more of that is, is having a bunch of friends over that, that, you know, and that enjoy playing games and, and competing with them. Right. And and that's my thing too, is it's social, whether it's an RPG, whether it's a board game, whether it's sheephead or, you know, uh cribbage, it doesn't matter. It's it's that interaction with somebody else that you enjoy not only the game, but you enjoy the person you're sitting down and, and playing with. So Alright, so you said you had a few um Honorable mention. Yeah, let's see what you got. All right. My first, well, we'll start at number five. Okay. Number five, my honorable mention is Time Stories. This is a time-traveling board game. Uh, very cool. The only problem with it is that you can only play it once, essentially, with each expansion. So the base game comes with a, a story. Okay. And uh, after that, you have to buy another story for the game because once you've gone through it and done it, chances are you're going to remember which makes it hard to replay. Okay. Um, but it's very cool. You go back in time. It's almost like a quantum leap type thing where you're trying to fix uh, things that have happened in the past. But they kind of they kind of got you though, don't they? They to, do. To buy more and more. But uh, it's really cool. I mean, for for the bang for your buck, because those expansions I think are around thirty dollars or so. Um, you know, if you've got four people that are going to sit there for three hours or four hours playing this game. You know, it's not so bad per person, but, you know, I usually flip the bill. So I'm right, yeah. 30 bucks, you know. Um, thankfully, I've got not a great memory when it comes to games. So I can remember certain <laughs> give it, things. Give it a couple of years and try <laughs> exactly. again. Exactly. You can wait three, four years and then try it again and you could probably play it again. But, right, yeah. Um, but you certainly can't play it again in a week or two or three. Right. Uh, number four is Power Grid. Are you now, familiar with that? I, I am familiar with Power Grid and I really enjoy Power Grid. Um the problem is finding people that don't have it memorized to the point that it's all – they know exactly what they need to do. Sure, yeah. Um, because I'm not – I don't play board games on a super regular basis. Um, I'm more of a, of a role player. Um, so 
I like the game. I like the mechanics. I don't like playing with people that are like, well, why aren't you doing it? That, that's one of my pet peeves is people that tell me how to play my game. Yeah. It's like, I don't care if I lose. Don't tell me how to do this. Yeah. And I usually don't have that problem at my house because – because I do have such a, a large collection, I very rarely play the same game more than once a year. Right, you right. You know, if I play a game, you know, if it's something we really enjoy, we might play it two or three times a year. But but typically games will hit the table at most about once a year. So it doesn't become an issue of, hey, I, I've got this game down so well that I know exactly what the best strategy is to right. win. Right, it. it was like the group um, of guys that I used to play um, uh, Empire Builder and euro sure rails and stuff like that is they knew every card they knew what cards were still in the deck and it was just like why that yeah. to me that 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 takes the fun out of it for me takes but. the fun out of it and also puts you on that level of maybe there's an addiction issue here <laughs> you know yeah it's true it's it's, it's unless true. of course you've got an eidetic memory in which case board games probably aren't going to be that much fun for you anyway right yeah number three terraforming mars so okay, here not familiar with that one. Again, it's a Mars-based theme. I like space. I don't know if you've I, noticed I've noticed, this, yeah. But uh, I am a fan of space-based games. And this one, you're trying to colonize Mars. So you're trying to create oxygen, water, atmosphere, those kinds of things. And you okay. do that by playing cards. So it's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, number two is Cadensburg, the one I mentioned, which is yep. kind of a dice placement game. And then number one is the game that you said you'd like to try, Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter, yes. So. Um, that was played at... Uh, Evercon um, this past January. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get on in on it, but I did get to watch it for a little while. Sure. And I mean, it's got everything I I it's want. It's a post-apocalyptic game. Zombie game. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the zombies are in there, but they're not really the main. Oh, they were in the game that well, ended up well, playing. They kind of are, but I mean, you're you're trying to control the zombies, but you can uh, you can play the game and not. Uh, you know, the zombies are one threat, but the bigger threat is whether or not there's a traitor in your midst. Because right. if there's a traitor and you can't figure it out, that's going to that's gonna sink you almost immediately. Um, All right, man. I, I, I appreciate you coming in. Um, my gonna, pleasure. Going to do a little bit of a teaser here for next week. Like I told my listeners last week, this is my mic block. So you were the first part of my mic block. <laughs> and next week I've got um, a buddy of mine. He's actually coming back for the second time. His name is Mike Loomis. Um, so it'll be interesting. I, I really had fun the first time that we did, uh, did a podcast with Mike. So it'll be fun to have him back and see what he's got on his mind this time. Um, now if you guys want to do any comments, um, you can reach me in one of two ways. You can reach me with, by email at, uh, whose podcast is it at gmail.com. And I also now have a Facebook page. Um, just search for whose podcast is it anyway. Um, you know, anything, whether it's, it's, uh, praise or um criticism or ideas or you want to be on the show any of that kind of stuff you can reach me in either one of those places um and now we end with the quote of the day so i do a quote and then we'll talk about it if there's something to talk about okay so the quote says we can do anything we want to if we stick to it long enough that was said by helen keller um who was the the uh subject of our um, piece today, our uh, History Day piece. Um, she was an American author, political activist, and lecturer. She was the first deaf-blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. The story of how Keller's teacher, Anne Sullivan, broke through the isolation imposed by a near-complete lack of language 
allowing the girl to blossom as she learned to communicate, has become widely known through the dramatic depictions of the play and the film The Miracle Worker. Which I actually had the um, the um, fun and the uh, honor to uh, do that show at one point. I actually got to play Helen Keller's father, Arthur. Um, but the quote itself, you know, and there's a lot of good in that quote of it does, you know, if it's hard, that's okay. You just have to stick with it and eventually you're going to get to where you want to be. Right. And I think, you know, it kind of speaks to the American spirit or at least the American attitude of if I persevere long enough, if I have enough fortitude or courage to, uh, to face these obstacles in my life, if I keep at it, I'm going to overcome. And, uh, to an extent that's true. I mean, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's something to be said about the uh, uh, the virtue of perseverance and, and just keeping at it and working hard enough. Um, there comes a point where, you know, uh, we're just simply not going to be able to do it on our own, and that's where we need help from others. But um, it's, it's not a bad thing to have, um, I guess, that attitude to... Uh, um, one of the quotes uh, that I'll get in, and I, I can't remember which uh, which saint said it, but they, you know, they said, um, "Work as if everything depends on you. Pray as if everything depends on God." And yep. that's it. Reminds me of that kind of attitude that we have to work as hard as we can towards what we want to achieve, but realize that um, that we can't do it always on our own. That that there is. Uh, a greater power out there so. and, and and the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that to ask for help is not a sign of weakness it's a sign of knowledge it's a sign of knowing yourself yep so and knowing your limits so yeah absolutely all right well once again mike i want to thank you for coming out and uh to all you out there listening we'll talk to you next week